0: Welcome back to the Northeast Newscast. This episode is made possible by Jamaica's Online Market in Delhi. Today, I'm joined by three well-known veterans of the Kansas City coffee scene as part of the Northeast News Coffee Issue. We talk coffee culture, the industry, pro tips, and even get a little technical. So grab your mug and settle in. Welcome, you guys. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thank you.
2: Thanks. Yeah, it's good to be here.
0: So each of you has, you know, quite a few things going on in the coffee scene, and I think it'll be easier if I let you explain. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves?
1: I'm Marty Rowe. We own a service company. We work on coffee equipment. We install coffee equipment. Basically, if if coffee touches it, we we do too. Keep it running, uh, keep it shined up, uh, make things percolate in the coffee scene. We also own a uh, training facility. Right now, it's been a little furloughed uh, due to COVID, but um, difficult to do the uh, face-to-face training. Um, but we're looking forward to uh, having that relaunch once things settle down.
3: Yeah, and hopefully that'll be sooner rather than later. Absolutely. My name is Kate Blackman, and uh, I'm currently the operations manager for Roast Ratings, which is uh, we evaluate coffees the same way that you would drink them at home. Um, so that's that's a really fun job, and then I also am working independently as a coffee consultant and trainer. And you live in the Northeast, right? I do. All yeah, right. just right around the corner. That's awesome. What about you, Ben?
2: My name is Ben Helt, and I work for the Specialty Coffee Association, an international trade organization that's uh, about promoting a more sustainable specialty coffee industry. In that organization, we have a skills-based or a set of skills-based certificate education programs, which are delivered around the world by close to 2,000 authorized trainers. Marty Rowe is one of them, and uh, I run that program. So I work with coffee trainers around the world to deliver this product. My connection to the Kansas City coffee scene is uh, for a while we had a cafe and roasting company in Raytown called Benetti's Coffee. So that's my connection to the Kansas City coffee scene and where I got to know these two awesome people that are on the call. I also want to say those are probably the most edited and understated introductions of the background of Marty and Kate, that (laughs) knowing everything that they've done in coffee uh, beyond Kansas City is impressive. And hopefully we'll hear a little bit more about that as we have our discussion today.
0: Yeah, they need to brag on themselves a little more, I think.
2: Not, <laughs> uh, I will, yeah.
0: <laughs> so this might be an easy question for you, but maybe not. Uh, what's your favorite way to prepare coffee?
3: If you were just wake up on a Saturday morning, you have nowhere to be, what would you choose? Black coffee is my favorite. Um, I do like it brewed well, so I use any matter of different pour-over devices at home, Um my favorites, like the three that I kind of cycle through the most, are the Hario V60, the Origami Dripper, and the Bee House Dripper.
2: During the week at our house, getting the kids ready, uh, for me, it's the Bonavita Brewer. That's, that's where we make the, the standard pot of coffee in the morning uh, and does an excellent job. And then, uh, either on the weekends or for the second round for me, I'm usually a Hario V60 or a Chemex uh, brewer. I like the filter material that you use in a Chemex. I like that, that thick paper.
1: Sure. My favorite is any way anyone wants to make it for me. That's- <laughs> <laughs> that is somehow or another, that just tastes better when someone makes it for you. Um, if, it, if it's up to me, and there for a little while when we first shut down for COVID, um, I was making my own coffee every morning. And so I, I did get into a routine. Ben mentioned the Bonavita drip coffee maker. They also make a pour over device, which kind of steeps your coffee and then you release it out of that steeping soup, if you will, of coffee and water down into the cup and so it's a it's a very forgiving uh, pour over device it's easy to use and one little trick that I have learned to do with that that actually does help my coffee proficiency anyway what ends up in the cup is once I brew it I add a little bit of about 10 percent of hot water directly into the cup that didn't go through the coffee they call that bypass and that with that method and the the coffee to water ratio that I've been using that, that little trick at the end, which is very, very simple, uh, really opens up and makes the coffee, um, taste better.
0: Well, after years of using a Keurig in college, you know, in my dorm, <laughs> I finally got into, I worked in a cafe and I gained a whole lot of appreciation, maybe not as much knowledge as I would have hoped. Um, so I use a French press every morning and, Just learning the technique has made me appreciate coffee so much more. And then even beyond that, there's so much science that goes into it and technique and everything. So that's what I'm hoping you can share um, with our audience today. Maybe if we start by explaining how you all got into coffee to begin with.
1: I've always drank coffee and, and I was probably your typical commercial coffee drinker, uh, played music growing up in a family band. And there was at the jam sessions and events and stuff, there was always a coffee pot there. And it was your, your typical Maxwell House Folgers type coffee. And I, I, I appreciated that. But in, I guess it was around 98, 99, 1999, we discovered one of the local roasters, the roastery you may have heard of them. They were having a uh, open to the public coffee club where they would just gather once a month and just talk about the different origins. It was kind of an educational yet social gathering with the topic of coffee at hand. And that really opened my eyes that it's not just coffee anymore, um, that there was a whole lot more to it when we were Drinking the Folgers and Maxwell House, it was either good or bad. And the person that got the credit or the blame is whoever made it. But by going by going to these these coffee clubs, I discovered that it really does matter where the coffee origin is, how it was processed, how it was stored, how it was rushed. There's so much more to it that it really intrigued me. Now, being born with a crescent wrench in my hand, uh, the equipment intrigued me also. And seeing Kansas City as a, a growing coffee industry as far as cafes and, and restaurants and things, it wasn't long before I, I was really wanting to get in into that as a uh, vocation. And so it was the, the service and repair along with enjoying the, the nuances and flavors of the coffee is what really drugged me into that. And then last and definitely not least, I realized that there were some really cool people um, the characters that that are in the coffee industry is what really really grabbed me by the neck and and kept me kept me here because you can turn wrenches anywhere um, but there's there's not a better bunch of folks um, out there in any one particular group than what's in the coffee industry
3: that is definitely true um, <laughs> I think that's like to answer kind of the next question, like what keeps us all here? Um, I think it's definitely our, our peers that are in the business. But uh, I got started by working at a bookstore that also had a cafe in it. And I worked in the bookstore part, but the cafe always needed people and it seemed really fun. So uh, I would pop in there and like, hey, let me help you guys. I can uh, do this thing. Anyway, I I realized that I did really enjoy that. And when I saw um, a different cafe on the plaza that was hiring, I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go do that thing. And that was in 2000. And uh, I've been kind of learning things and doing different things ever since. I've gotten to open a lot of different cafes for people. Um, I've gotten to roast coffee. I've gotten to compete. I've gotten to judge competitions, just pursue certifications and education and all kinds of fun stuff, travel, go to origin. So it's been, it's been a good ride.
2: Kate has certainly served as a mentor to people who are mastering those techniques that you were talking about earlier, Abby in the work that she does. <laughs> and it's, uh, well, I guess I should answer your question, which is how did I get into coffee? For yeah. hmm. me, I'm one of those folks that was driven by making a difference in a community and didn't know much about coffee. So for me, it was about creating a place for cultural exchange in a community where it didn't exist. Where there were, and it seemed like coffee was something that could help uh, make that happen in the mid 2000s. So I became a first-time business owner, a first-time barista, and a first-time roaster all at the same time, which I don't recommend to anyone. <laughs> um, but through the help of finding out how many people there were that were in the industry that were around my community, uh, you know, being humble enough to just listen uh, and be actually concerned about creating a good product within the, you know, your efforts in the community um, helped to make that successful until we were able to hand that off to others in, you know, after about eight years or so. And I think because that was my initial drive, that's probably why I enjoy visiting the shops in the Northeast so much, you know, with Elios and Splitlog and PH, they all seem to be uh, businesses that are very focused on uh, accommodating, cultivating and generating community. In three different ways, you know, they're very different in how they approach that, but very community focused. And probably one of the reasons that I love meeting Kate for coffee, uh, which we haven't been able to do much this year um, in the Northeast. That's why I probably dig being around there.
0: Yeah, we think it's great. I mean, our whole issue, like I said, this week is about coffee and mostly those coffee shops and you know Elias roasts in house split log just started roasting at their strawberry hill location mm-hmm. and then PH roasts you know north of the river so they get to do it from beginning to end which is a process that probably a lot of you in the industry really appreciate you know all the different pieces and factors that go into just making a cup of coffee like it's so much more than <laughs> just a cup of coffee
2: Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned the science and the technique earlier, and I think that was a really good observation in the fact that compared to other beverages, I and mean, coffee. there's so much that's just miraculous about coffee and the journey. And you mentioned several steps in that journey of roasting, but coffee is one of those few beverages where we're inviting many times the customer to participate in an extraction of that coffee. We know that there's a, you know, What is it? Usually less than, way less than 2% of uh, the beverage itself is what's extracted from the beans, you know, from the coffee. Uh, And we don't like everything that's extracted out of the coffee. So there's a lot of science, you know, and technique to just nailing down what humans like to drink. It's one of those few products where the end of the supply chain truly is the customer because they sometimes or like you are with your French press, conducting that final step. I mean, you're participating in the process. And with other beverages, sure, there's mixology, there's some of those things, but like with a beer, the beer's done. You click. I mean, unless <laughs> you like, mistreat it temperature or something like that, it's not, the, the beer is done. You know, that drink is done. The soda is done. It's done. But with coffee, the customer's participating in bringing out the highest potential that's in that coffee, you know? And I think that that's just a miracle of this. It can result in a terrible product too. You know, <laughs> so
0: We've all had bad coffee. Along yeah. away, it's
2: about, I mean, the coffee is never going to be any better than it was in the beginning. So it's like, it's just about maintaining that quality along the way. So, just,
0: okay. you know, speaking about your years of experience, all of you in the coffee scene in Kansas city and like you were saying nationally and sometimes internationally, how has the coffee scene in Kansas city changed over the past five years or even 10 years?
3: It's so huge. How, (laughs) um, you know, how, how much it's grown. I think growth is like the biggest, uh, the biggest thing that we're seeing, let's say 10 years ago. Um, there were only a handful of roasters in town we still had a lot of cafes, but, um, they, they were buying coffee from one of those handful of roasters or maybe someone further away in Kansas or Missouri. But typically, like, cafes were using someone fairly local or regional. Um, and what I feel like I've seen grow a lot is that more and more cafes are roasting their own coffee and sourcing it. So that's, that's one thing that's changed a lot. Um, I think the other thing that... I've seen change a lot in the business is the quality of food that cafes offer has improved so much. Um, or even having food, having something besides like, you know, muffins from Costco or like some kind of frozen cookie puck that's baked in like an easy bake oven in the back. I mean, like cafes have like real food now. Um, so I feel like that's, those are a couple of the bigger changes. Um, more of like an experience to go visit yeah yeah and in the last 10 years um manual brews are it feels like they've been around forever but they really haven't like 10 years ago if you could get a french press in a coffee shop that was about as cutting edge as it got you know and now like it's hard to get a drip coffee sometimes because it's like everyone just has all these different pour over devices and stuff so I feel like that's um that's really coffee by the cup and being able to pick the origin and, you know, select all of these details as a consumer has really happened in the last 10 years too. And do you think, you know, that has anything to do with the internet and kind of the social media culture around it? I am sure that has a lot to do with it. Um, It's hard to even like parse back what, luckily we were all around before that, but it's, it's really hard to remember. Like what things were like before Instagram and like, you know, coffee being, uh, being really played out over, over social media. Yeah. And Marty, since you, you're the one working
0: on the machines in a lot of these shops around town, you know, how have those changed over the years? And are people getting more specific with the type of machinery they like to
1: use? Uh, They have, they've gotten, I think I agree with Kate, and the fact that things have grown, not just in numbers, but part of what has driven the technology that, that I deal with is that the customers have gotten a lot more knowledgeable, making it not lot more difficult, but maybe more fun um, for the, the coffee purveyor to meet those needs um, because the day of, of the customer being satisfied with that, that commercial coffee, there that's gone. You know, If you're going into a coffee shop, you're expecting a certain quality product, not just in the coffee, but in the syrups. Back when we first got into it, there's a ton of huge market in the pre-made syrups. Now they're still there, but there's a huge amount of shops that are making their own flavorings that, that uh, augment the, the coffee offerings. And it's just quality going up, quality going up. And so I think it was a natural thing for the equipment to follow suit with that, to be able to offer uh, a a better steamed milk, per se. And so instead of just heating up the milk like we used to do, now there's a certain texture that we're shooting for. And so it goes along with the skill set that the barista would have to have to be able to do that. But to have the right tool to be able to do that helps them tremendously. So we do see that. Something that has happened most recent, and mainly because of, of COVID, Is the uh, implementation, it's a big word for me, or the utilization of more automated machines. And where where that is uh, mostly being put at right now is in drive throughs. Drive throughs are very, very popular right now. The hands on show isn't quite necessary as it might need to be in a sit down, you want to see that craftsmanship from that barista. But if you're in your car and you're going to work or you're just driving through um, for your midday coffee libation, um, you don't, you don't need that, but you want a good high quality. Well, the super automatic or the more automated machines that have come along, they, they have stepped up. They're putting out a product that, that is very consistent, um, very high quality you know, of course we have to step up our game in learning that technology and what's there and what it takes to keep those running.
0: It's time to take a break to thank our sponsors. Shamika's Online Market in Delhi offering catering and nationwide shipping at shamikasonline.com. Find their new deli at 16th and Swift in North Kansas City. Shamika's, where customers become friends and friends become family. And now back to the newscast. And Ben, I mean, you work with an organization that focuses on specialty coffee. You know, how has that evolved over these past few years?
2: Kate and Marty covered so much there that I agree with and and covered a lot of that. And um, then I think what I'd love to add to that is just what I've seen in Kansas City as far as it becoming even more of what I would consider a a great coffee city. And by that, I mean, like, there's a few things that I, I think of when I think of a place being a great coffee city or an area. And one is just having a really good retail presence, right? And I think it's when we think about great coffee places, we think about the retail engagement of that. And Kansas City has great retail outlets for just what you would consider the locals, where the locals feel comfortable and the locals uh, grab a high-quality product. But there's also enough in our retail environment to keep any coffee tourist that shows up in our area Engage. They're going to have retail experiences that match all sorts of other cities in our country and around the world. Shoot, just even in the Northeast, like they could come and experience three very different um, coffee experiences just right there. And so when you expand that out, we have some world-class retail here. But really, I, another thing that I think makes a really awesome coffee city is not just its width, in retail, but it's depth in the supply chain. We have premier service providers of equipment based here in Kansas City that serve the entire Midwest. We have folks like Kate, chair of our national competition for brewing coffee for U.S. Brewers Cup. I mean, she is a mentor for people across the way. We have uh, a world barista champion from this area now lives in Australia. We have, um, you know, top tier consultants who are based out of here. We have uh, very active green coffee importers uh, who are storing coffee here, and so like having that depth of influence in the supply chain based here in Kansas City, I think that's just awesome. And that's something that a consumer would probably never see. They would never get to see how deep uh, the Kansas City influence on coffee goes. The other thing that I love about Kansas City coffee that's changed over time is some of the entrepreneurs involved have focused on providing great coffee where tourists go, where some of our attractions are, you know, like in Union Station, the Nelson-Atkins, those kinds of places. Typically when I travel a lot, when you go into those kinds of attractions in other cities, it's a great place to find bad coffee. That's an excellent place to find bad coffee. But in Kansas City, you can find coffee conveniently, great coffee, in all sorts of different neighborhoods that we have, and, and I think that that's awesome. I'm curious to see how it plays out is in this phase of coffee that we're in, where um, coffee is very involved, you know, it has a fashion to it, it has a scene, it has a community, it has a purpose. Um, Coffee has always been connected to, or or seemingly had a connection to some missions, you know, like just accomplishing different kinds of, of things, particularly in Kansas City coffee. There are people who are veterans, that have been around since those, you know, the early '90s, late '90s. Kate in the you know, around 2000, and those areas, so a little bit before, that were part of bringing about the specialty coffee experience. Who now have kids who are also working in coffee. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they've, been, that's cool. they've been in cafes. They've been in so like there's this like this next generation whose parents were part of bringing about the specialty coffee. Experience here, we're starting to see that in Kansas City. I'm really curious what it's like, what it's going to be like to uh, grow old in coffee.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm speaking of,
2: what's it going to be like to be the old man? You know, in coffee. Uh, I'm not asking you, Marty, directly. But, you <laughs> well, know. speaking
0: of, you know, some of the attractions. Uh, the Kansas City Museum is under renovation right now, but I got a sneak peek, and their cafe is going to be gorgeous. I don't believe anybody's, you know, been chosen to run it yet, but whatever is there, I'm sure is going to be great. The three of you have so much experience and you've all been involved in training in some aspect. So do you kind of want to talk about how much training goes into, you know, your typical barista versus people who compete nationally?
3: Well, I can, I can speak to this. I've uh, trained a lot of baristas and I've also... Been lucky to work with U.S. Barista Champion and a U.S. Brewers Cup Champion, and um, help them help them train. It is very different um, when you're training as a barista for a cafe. The goalposts are so wide uh, because the variety of requests that you'll get from guests um, can be so so diverse. Um, so training for a cafe, you're probably looking at about a two week, um, commitment of like training shifts where you focus on different things, different days, and that'll get you ready to like, you're learning all the time. Like, you know, you'll, you'll continue to learn. If I go on bar next week, I'll learn something, you know, so it kind of never ends. But, um, in terms of training for competition, there's, There's a very specific set of rules for these competitions. Um, So, and there's a score sheet. You cannot win by getting points that don't exist. So training for competition is all about how many points can I get on the score sheet and how can I, how can I understand the way that it's judged the way that the score sheet works. And, uh, but you're working within a very strict framework when you're training for one of those kind of competitions the attention to detail and the coffee that you source is very, very different than a retail experience. So there, there are definitely like different animals, but I would say like what the, the variety of things that you can experience when you're working as a barista in a cafe, it's so infinite. <laughs> like anything can happen in a cafe. So training for that is, is a little more, uh, it's you, you have to be very adaptable. And so, Marty, uh, you
0: with Workbench, you do all sorts of training, you know, whether that's for servicing machines. Do you want to talk about some of those classes?
1: Now, when um, Workbench was first uh, opened, we we did a lot what uh, Kate was referring to as far as the skill sets that it would take to operate and run a, a successful cafe, barista skills, roasting skills, things like that. Now we are steering away from that just business-wise and getting more um, focused on just the technical side of it, and just wanting to meet the needs of the market um, that's out there. Um, but she brings up a really good point that we we also um, had to be cognizant of is that the coffee industry is ever evolving. Um, and that's, that's part of what makes it so so alive is that we we don't even tamp today. You know the process of tamping. You see baristas do that. The process of tamping. We don't tamp like we tamped five years ago. Um, definitely not ten or fifteen years ago. Um, so these these processes and and what is thought of as best practice today. Um, varies. so you have to stay, stay on top of it and you have to stay current and you have to be willing to, to learn along the way and, uh, cohabitate and collaborate to be able to do that. But yeah, technically, um, on the, uh, the technician side of it, it's the same thing. The, uh, the manufacturer hats off to them, they are developing equipment all the time that, do it a little better, do it a little different, uh, always striving for temperature stability or flow stability, something that either makes the product more consistent or better or makes it easier for the barista. As an example, there was a, uh, uh, a concern about baristas getting carpal tunnel from the repetitive action of putting the portafilter in, in the machine over and over all day. Well, there's manufacturers out there that are developing equipment that receives that portafilter in a different manner, and they put that stress on the machine, not the wrist of the of the barista. Well, that comes with technology that we have to learn about. Being involved with uh, with the manufacturers and and taking opportunities to uh, to get training and share knowledge at different events is 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 very important. And and I've always personally I've always been a uh, teach a person how to fish kind of approach. As much as I enjoy learning, I absolutely enjoy sharing what I've learned. It's like, hey, looky what I found, which makes it makes it fun for me to uh, to have a training facility. It works out really well.
0: Yeah, that's great. So you know, speaking of some of those things, what's the balance in Kansas City between? competition and collaboration?
1: That is definitely one of the things that drew me into the coffee scene. Um, and then I learned once we, we got so deep, uh, well beyond me deep uh, in the coffee scene, we started going to events around the country. There's definitely pockets around the country that, that tend to collaborate a bit and that they are a coffee friendly competition. but i'll go out on a limb and say i don't know of any market that has that willingness to share the coffee knowledge the coffee excitement the coffee culture the coffee family however you want to say it i don't think kansas city's got a rival in that i i don't know what has driven that uh, whether it's some midwest hospitality but the coffee scene in the kansas city and surrounding metro areas you can go out and ask any new coffee shop owners, and they repetitively they they're always telling me how willing another shop or a roaster is is there to share information with them.
3: Kate, have you found the same thing to be true? I really have um, it's like Marty said some friendly competition, of course, like you know you're everyone's trying to pay their own bills, but there's there's a lot of space for coffee in kansas city and people are really supportive and collaborative both um you know the barista community as well as like uh between all the different arms that we have of like having importers having service companies having roasters having cafes having bakeries like there's really a lot of uh a lot of sharing of information and resources and it feels like there's enough room for everyone to kind of do their own thing and have, have their own unique spin on it. I mean, you know, going back to Northeast, like, I feel like pH coffee, split log and Ilias all have different, you know, different things that they specialize in and you get a different like vibe when you go into each cafe and you get a different beverage. So. Yeah, for
0: sure. And Ben, you know, how important is networking to, you know, the mission of the SCA?
2: Oh, yeah. Building that community and that network is really kind of our core mission. And it's becoming more and more of the product of the organization is the network itself. And, you know, that manifests itself in all sorts of different ways. You know, like when many of us got into coffee, it's when there was still Zanga, you know, like, everybody was, like, shutting down their GeoCities accounts and moving on to things like where there was no Instagram. Facebook pages were just becoming a thing. You know, like, the social media, the growth there, and how that really struck a chord with the coffee community has made some networking just amazingly possible. Plus, the thing that shows up, I think, more in Kansas City now is you know, in those early days of what we call third wave coffee, right? So there's maybe about three roasters, three predominant roasters in Starbucks that brought specialty coffee to Kansas city. And now we're much like bands where there were a lot of people in these bands in this decade who have then gone off and they've all started other bands and then other things later. Uh, we're starting to see that in coffee where there's coffee, institutions like companies that have been institutions in coffee who have uh kind of given birth to other cafes and retailers from people who used to work there people who have moved on and to where it's like it's so big in kansas city now you have the greater kansas city coffee community but there's so many of players in it that you even have now there's room to have sub groups (laughs) groups <laughs> you know you have little sub networks of people that work together uh within that to where at one point it was there was all there's always been community amongst some you know in collaboration with that but now it, it's it became very uh apparent to a lot of us that needed to happen to make the scene viable and now you have like these subgroups and i i hope i hope it doesn't fall victim to the challenges brought by COVID-19, you know, in the pandemic that we don't lose a lot of those. But one of the things that we saw in 2008 with the financial crisis there was a lot of people were disenfranchised with the uh, their life in corporate America and they wanted to strike out and do something that they felt was a little more, like, fulfilling. And we saw a boom in, uh, in people investing, wanting to get into coffee. And I'm, I'm hoping that we don't lose too many and i'm hoping we reap the benefits from a really tough year <laughs> you yeah, know and maybe for get sure. some new, some new blood to build that community even more and i think those are the kinds of discussions that i'm watching take place by people who are much smarter than i am who are talking about the future of the industry as preparing for what does a world look like post this pandemic and um, how does it work And you know, with some of the even some of the political challenges that we face within uh, different countries around the world, including ours, like um, where does coffee have a role to play, and you know, how do we leverage that for the better?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think that really speaks to you know the resiliency of the community and how much I've seen coffee shops adapt, you know, whether that's curbside pickup or online ordering, putting dividers between their tables like it's I've been
2: impressed honestly and that's hard so hard you know I know what it feels like to write those checks you know it's hard and so you've got you have people who have to adapt and you have people who have had to you know make tough decisions between going on unemployment or going to work or not having that choice at all and just getting laid off and I'm just really thankful that there's so many baristas who are willing to go to work and truly be on the front line delivering a product to people to keep that going you know, for everyone because it just wouldn't be possible without them doing that. You know?
0: Yeah, for sure. Do you all want to share your maybe, your most memorable coffee experience, whether that was your first cup of really good coffee and you said, this is what I want to do.
1: It's definitely one of my more heartfelt moments It was kind of a recentering that there's there's more to any business than the art of making money that there's a people aspect to it several years ago dan opened elios and we were fortunate enough to to go in and help him install his his brewing equipment i i didn't know anything about his business model or, or him or, or anything. I, I, I knew nothing other than there was another coffee shop opening up in Kansas City. And so after a day of crawling around on his floor and in his cabinets and stuff running water lines, Dan and I had, had spent enough time together. I somehow or another, I felt like I could be honest with him. I, I looked at him as we're, getting ready to pack things up and go for the day. I said, Dan, hats off to you. I, I really hope that, that things work out well for you here. But I got to be honest, if I was looking in Kansas City uh, at the demographics that are available, I'm not real sure if here on Independence Avenue would have been where I would have picked. And uh, he kind of leaned in towards me a little bit, and he said, precisely. And I, that kind of took me, that's not what I expected. I expect, you know, I don't know what I expected, but I didn't I didn't expect that. And so I said, Oh, well, there's gotta be more to this story then. And he goes, Oh yeah, there absolutely is. We did go around Kansas City and we did look at all the demographics and we were looking for the area that would most benefit from having a nice, good, wholesome business, a place to congregate, a place to share. How best could we support an area? Who would benefit best from us being there? And he felt that that was the area. It, it just gives me goosebumps that there's so much humanity right there and that we see that in other places if if you choose to to look there and choose to be a part of it.
3: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I have so many amazing memories with coffee um, and the people that I've gotten to interact with and work with and learn from and serve. But in 2018, Kansas City hosted the United States Barista Championship and the United States Brewers Cup Championship. It was also kind of at the same time as Big 12, so it was really cool as a coffee nerd to see... All of these coffee people coming to Kansas City, um, you know, to to attend this event and kind of descending upon like the crossroads and the power and light in downtown areas. At the same time as you had all these sports fans here, it was like, was like our Super Bowl, you know, I think having uh, hosting that event as a community and the way that the all of our different cafes came together the way that all these people visited our city and saw how amazing our culture is and how, how much they loved being here, how much they loved seeing what we've built uh, was really cool. And it was something that like everyone in our community could be proud of. Also Kaylee Yan, uh, who worked for messenger coffee at that time, uh, won the U S Brewers cup. So it was really cool to have a, a national championship brought home by a local Um, so that was, that whole week was a really just incredible series of events and really memorable and a lot of pride in what we're all doing here.
2: Yeah, that's a cool feeling. This is such a hard question to nail it down to just one thing. Meeting both of the people and working with people on this podcast has been uh, a continually good memory. And so that's good. I think I'll choose one that does relate to the Northeast. I did, I, I bought uh, Dan from Iliosi's first roaster after he upgraded to a larger one. It was at the time after I had sold the roasting portion of our business and I wanted to go back and just roast him in the cafe and got to know Dan a little bit through that. And I loved that machine. It's probably my favorite roasting machine ever. But at the same weekend, that kate's talking about we also hosted a really unique event in kansas city that marty helped out with and some other people but it was uh it was an event where we wanted to leverage the culinary community of kansas city particularly cooking outdoors barbecue right but connected with coffee so it was about breakfast and we held uh, a really unique event called a campfire coffee cook-off where it was about cooking breakfast out, uh, coffee professionals, cooking breakfast outdoor over open fire and making coffee without the use of electricity. And it was so awesome to have some competitors from all around the country, uh, but particularly just, uh, you know, around the Kansas City area come together and enjoy cooking breakfast. But that was held at Split Log. Now, it was at their Strawberry Hill location, but I thought I would pick one that uh, involved one of the Northeast, it's, you know, one of the Northeast shops. And uh, that, that was so much fun to watch people get together and just share the joy of cooking along with coffee in just a real fun environment. And that, that was a good time. And I'm looking forward to COVID being gone so that we can bring that back to Kansas City somewhere.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. And, you know, I think one thing that COVID has done for us is kind of taking us all back to basics, whether that was baking our own bread at home, or maybe taking the time to prepare coffee over a campfire, you know, if you had the opportunity to do that, kind of thinking about the simple things that we can enjoy. Before we wrap up here, are there any pro tips for casual coffee drinkers that would take their, you know, coffee experience at home to the next
2: level? Pay attention to your water, and then you don't have to get real fancy with it. You can start very simply, but just by taking your tap water here in the kansas city area and splitting it in half with a uh, filtered water from the grocery store like a drinking water not a spring water but a drinking water if you take those two and just split them in half that puts you on a good path uh, given the kind of water we have around here in kansas city to having the right kind of mineral content maybe reduce some of that chlorine and uh, you know it starts with the water
1: well i i will agree with ben and uh, love the tip of the 50-50 because we know a little bit about water in our training facility because we train on water. Kate has came, she, she came to one of our water filter application classes that we offered. Um, and here in the KC Metro area, we are very fortunate to have a pretty good, water makes up a, a lot of what you drink as in that cup of coffee. And the minerals that are in that water are very important you can't strip them out so number one tip don't use distilled water for your coffee you might try it as a learning um, experience you won't like it so you have to have some minerals kansas city water has the right minerals just a little too much you you blend that about 50 50 with with something with very little minerals in it you're going to end up pretty close to what this the coffee industry says is ideal water but i also recommend Uh, utilize your resources. Um, when you go to a coffee shop and you, you have a cup of coffee that's memorable, that's, that you enjoy, chat with that barista, chat with them, find out what is it that about that coffee is, is it the processing? Is it the roasting? Is it what, what is developing that particular, Product that that you like. There's a lot of aspects of, of it, and I guarantee you they are willing to share. Sometimes you can't shut them off. Kansas City is a not only has pretty good water, but they've got world class coffee knowledgeable people.
3: True, people are people are the best resource. But um, in terms of something that you can have at home, because you probably can't have a barista, um, I think that uh, your grinder is probably the most important piece of equipment for brewing good coffee. If you're going to buy whole bean coffee, it's, you cannot have the blade. You can't have it. It doesn't work well. It's not a good grinder. So take a step up above that, get yourself a burr grinder and you'll notice like the biggest quality improvement. It's within reach expense wise, where like a home espresso machine, some of those are not within reach at all. If you go out for coffee, you can afford to buy a really good grinder at home.
2: Well said. Yeah, Get what you
3: pay for. And that was Kate Blackman, Marty Rowe, and Ben Helt. Thanks so much
2: for joining
0: us for the Northeast News Coffee Week.
2: Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. thank you so much. Thank you.
0: We appreciate it. This episode was made possible by Shmeeka's Online Market in Delhi. Thanks for listening to the Northeast Newscast.